Well, hello, and welcome to the Fisher Poetry Podcast, a showcase of prose, poetry, and song written and performed by those in the commercial fishing community, mostly. I'm your host, Brad. Thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is from the 2023 Fisher Poetry Gathering in Astoria, Oregon. You'll be hearing from Fisher poet Mary Jacobs of Port Townsend, Washington, with introduction by MC Doug Rhodes. This set was recorded at the Liberty Theater on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. So, without further ado, here's the show. Okay, that was wonderful. Our next performer is Mary Jacobs. And Mary has fish, crab, shrimp, salmon, herring, probably a, probably a couple other things in there too, uh, throughout Alaska for 40 years. 25 of those years, she skippered her own boat generally with an all-women crew. Most of the time was around Kodiak. So please welcome Mary. Got it. Boy, I sure love to hear Lou's songs. He's great. And boy, I wish I had a voice like Dan. <laughs> he, can, he can really belt it out. Okay, um, in 1979, I had a bad case of cabin fever and missed crewing for salmon. My husband, John, encouraged me to go on my own, and he enthusiastically offered to stay home at our remote cabin in Mush Bay to garden and watch our kids. <laughs> I fixed up our 29-foot boat, the Invader, hired two girlfriends, Mary Rellier and Vicki Vesey, left my eight-year-old boy and three-year-old daughter with my husband. Oh yeah, John also agreed to watch Mary Rellier's eight-year-old son and 10-year-old daughter. Vicki also had an eight-year-old boy, who we also left with John. <laughs> Three eight-year-old boys, what could go wrong? <laughs> but that's another story. Luckily, my fourth crew lady, Jane Eisman, had no children. <laughs> During my first set ever, a skipper, the exhaust broke and filled the cabin with smoke, leaving us choking and coughing. I aborted the set and crept home for repairs. The following week, all fixed up, the crew and I again left our five kids with John and, and with renewed enthusiasm, headed away from my home at the head of the east arm of Uganic Bay. This time I wanted to travel farther to Broken Point at the mouth of the bay. Mary Relier and Jane slept in their bunks. I drove the boat under a full moon, thought about my two kids and cried, especially Belika, who was only three, and had reminded me that she would never leave me. <laughs> I'll keep you company, I heard Vicky call up from the deck. As soon as the water boils, I'll bring tea. I wiped away my tears. Vicky brought two steaming cups of mint tea and sat next to me the way I used to see Chuck keep John company on the same bridge. We drank our honeyed tea and talked about our love of the ocean and its wildlife in the quiet night the full moon high and bright above us, we breathed in the salt air. Thanks, Vicki, I said. For what? Helping me realize this dream and sharing these moments with me, I spread my arms to take in the blue-black ocean under the dawn lightning sky. 
Just then, Vicky stood up and pointed out crown-like puffins windmilling away from the boat. Later, as the moon set and the sky lightened, we laughed as porpoises played under our bow. As the sun broke over the snow-covered peaks of Kodiak, we arrived at Broken Point. Salmon jumped in a calm and inviting indigo ocean. Above the rocky and boulder-strewn beach sat a rickety summer cabin surrounded by iris, lupins, and tall grass. Floyd Anderson's cabin, I surmised. Vicky cooked oatmeal, made coffee, and woke Jane and Mary at 6 a.m. After they ate, Vicky started the skiff, and I gave the order to set our seine. It went out perfectly. Vicky and I towed our respective ends of the net. Salmon jumped inside it as Jane and Mary watched from the deck and cheered. Woohoo! I exclaimed from the bridge, we're catching fish. But then I noticed a strong ebb current was pulling our boat, our net, and skiff backwards at a steady clip. The belly of my net approached a set net, a gill net anchored along the shore to catch traveling salmon. Mary came up and sat beside me, her forehead knitted with worry. Damn, I slumped in despair. I effed up. I should have realized there would be big tides with the full moon. The current is taking us into that gill net, and this little boat does not have the power to pull it away. What do we do, she asked. Let's back all quick. I jumped off the bridge and turned on the hydraulics when my crew donned their rain gear. I ran the controls, the hydraulics whined, and the power block pulled in the seine. The crew stacked it as fast as they could. I broke into a sweat as I saw Invader Stern approaching the gillnet. I could read the name on the buoys. Floyd Anderson. <laughs> I really hoped he was napping. <laughs> We had about half the net in when I saw, to my horror, a hundred yards from my boat, my corks entangling Floyd's net. Moments later, both sets of corks disappeared underwater. I cranked up the engine to pull the net faster, but the increased pressure caused a hydraulic line to burst, squirting oil all over us and the boat. I had no choice but to disengage the hydraulics. The situation was getting worse. Now, if we managed to disentangle from Floyd's net, we had no hydraulics to reclaim our seine. Jane and Mary looked at me for guidance. I realized that I had to be decisive. I must not panic, I told myself. We need to repair the line, I said to the crew. Mary, go look under the bunks for a three-quarter inch repair kit in the wood box. She shed her oil-soaked raincoat as she ran into the cabin. Meanwhile, Jane and I wrapped the net with a tie-up line and tied it to the winch. Jane pushed the web clear of the Invader's propeller while I put the boat back in gear so I could tug at the impossibly entangled net. But we made no headway. The current continued to push us backwards. I used my binoculars and looked over at the skiff where Vicky was trying to tow her end of, her end of the net away from Floyd's. By her prop wash, I could tell she was at full RPMs, doing all she could but she also failed to make headway. The strong current pulled the skiff back. I grasped my head in despair as her end of the net disappeared into the tangle of, our, of ours and Floyd's. They sank out of sight and into the depths of the ocean. I knew Vicky would realize the futility of her continuing to hang on to our net. Vicky's tow line tugged hard on the skiff's stern, trying to pull it under. Just before her stern sunk, Vicky undid the line 
and without any recourse, she skiffed back to the invader. Her knuckles on the skiff's steering wheel were white. The veins in her neck stood out. She tied alongside and came aboard. I don't know what else I could do. You did the right thing, I said. Otherwise, the current would have pulled your skiff under and you'd be swimming. I kept towing the, note, the net, making no headway, but at least no longer losing ground and becoming more entangled. I was a screw-up. Two sets into my career as a salmon skipper, both disasters. Jane and Mary moved close to the bridge, waiting for my directions. I could not look them in their eyes. To buy myself time, I picked up a tide book and pretended to read it. I remembered seeing John in a comparable situation. I recall his advice to be patient. Tow the net gently until the current changes. Don't fight the weather in currents. Fish smart, not brazen. Then I actually read the tide book and groaned. I, I paused, I passed on that unwelcome news. The tide just started ebbing. We may have to tow here for six hours until the flood but we need to be patient. Meanwhile, I need to fix the hydraulics. While you work on the hydraulics, Vicky said, I'll take the wheel. Just then, Mary came out of the cabin with an assortment of hydraulic parts. Exactly what I need, I exclaimed. I turned the wheel over to Vicky and told Mary, get a hacksaw, a hammer, and a socket set, and to Jane, get a bucket of soapy water and scrub the oily decks. I don't want anyone slipping and falling and getting injured. Jane squirted joy soap onto the deck, bucketed up some seawater, added more soap, and scrubbed. Milky liquid dripped through our scuppers, a rainbow slick streamed from our stern. While Vicky towed, we took turns sawing the heavy rubber and steel and pregnant line on either side of the leak. Then we hammered the fittings into the hose with bruised hands. An hour into the project, we clamped them and tightened the clamps with a ratchet. We admired our work and turned on the hydraulics to test it. No leaks. Mary and I high-fived. Theoretically, we were ready to haul seine, but all we saw was an underwater snarl of corks, seine, and gillnet web. I knew if we tried to woman hand the nets apart, both would tear, so we, so we just kept towing. Our remaining net and whatever, whatever was left of Floyd's net were deep underwater invisible. For hours I towed against the ebbing tide. My crew took turns by my side. Vicky asked if I thought our net would be damaged. I pointed out the sharp-edged shale boulders on the nearby beach. If the net is hanging up on cutting rocks like those, I said, we will have a lot of torn web. And it's possible that the net is being sawn in half. Then we'd really be screwed. Also, it snagged onto and being torn by Floyd's anchors. Vicky rubbed the back of her neck. I sure hope we can fi fix it on board, she said. I know I'll feel like a fool going home again without catching a fish. That's what we would have to do if the net is shredded. The invader is too small to pull the net onto the deck to mend massive holes. I knew that if it, it could be so bad that we would have to go back to Mesh Bay and mend web and splice lines on the beach. Also, I would miss another opening while making repairs. Jane made grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup, comfort food. I ate, but could not taste. At some point on the distant shore, Floyd came out of his cabin, 
got in his skiff and picked his other net. Then he approached us. A hundred yards out, he slowed, shook his head as if to say, dumb chicks, turned his skiff around and returned to his cabin. I was humiliated. We towed, kept the tension on the net for, for another two hours. Then the current started to slack. At first, it was almost imperceptible. I think I see more corks popping out of the snarl, Jane said. There, she pointed, there's another. Finally, I sighed. At first, the nets untangled slowly. Within an hour, the flood tide blew us away from Floyd's net, and we were able to haul ours aboard. Miraculously, we found only minor holes in our web. Floyd's net had all his corks floating and looked like he was stretched out to catch fish. We were lucky. It could have been much worse. I'm going to go look for a safe place to fish. I mumbled, worrying about what trouble I could get us into next. I climbed back onto the bridge and squitted into the midday sun. I was desperate to save the day and prove I could catch fish. So while Mary Relier mended the small holes in our net, I ran the invader to the inside of Broken Point, away from the extreme current of the Shalikov. There were no other boats or gill nets in sight. In mid-afternoon, we set the net. I held the boat close to the shore, and Vicky made an increasingly large hook shape with her end. Salmon circled in her hook. Vicky managed the seine like a pro. After 30 minutes, I turned the boat towards her and closed the net and we carefully hauled it back, adjusting the pulling and pursing speed so we would not lose the salmons swimming in circles inside our seine. Jane and Mary stacked the web, cork line, and lead line with precision. When we pulled in the last part of the puckered seine, sockeye spilled into our boat. We had finally started to catch fish. <laughs> Thank you. That was Fisher Poet Mary Jacobs, recorded at the Liberty Theater in Astoria, Oregon, on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. Well, that's it. This one's in the tote. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is written and produced by Brad Wartman. The theme music for this episode is courtesy of Mark Allen Lovewell and Molly Canole. If you'd like to appear on or have comments about the show, please send an email to the Fisher Poetry Archive at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to haul the latest episodes into your net. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is available via our podcast host, Spotify, as well as Apple, Google, and Amazon. You can listen to our other podcast episodes, watch our YouTube videos, and join our community by going to thefisherpoetryarchive.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Come all young sailormen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. Blow your winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southern, so steady she go.